You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. What's up, Milwaukee listeners? I've got a deal for you. Saturday night, I'll be in your neck of the woods to MC and host the Eagle Mania concert at Pabst Theater downtown in Milwaukee, and I've got a deal for you and you only. Plug in promo code ZABE, that's Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at pabstheater.org and get 25% off on your tickets. For more information, go to the website, pabstheater.org, and I will see you Saturday. Today on the ZABEcast, and now we're down to two more games. Load the confetti cannons, pre-write the narratives, a trip to Atlanta and glory is on the line. My thorough recap of the divisional round in the NFL. Hawaii celebrates their one-year anniversary of near-ballistic missile death, a casino bad beat you will not believe, and why there is no hope for the next generation. A bonus hour of me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Monday, January 14, 2019. Greetings from a snowy Washington, D.C. Metroplex, the DMV District, Maryland and Virginia, where upwards of eight inches of the fluffy stuff has fallen over the course of Saturday and Sunday. Schools are closed today. Kids are running around. Government's already closed. It is quiet mayhem in the district. But the Zabecast is open for business, and I thank you for the download. NFL Final Four is set. Rams at Saints, 3.05 Eastern time on Fox. Saints are minus 3.5 at home. The Patriots at the Chiefs at 6.40 Eastern Standard Time. I would bet a small wager that will be delayed. That's a three-hour and 35-minute window between flights. You're not going to make it to gate A-17 on that one, ma'am. Either way, it's on CBS following Rams and Saints. Chiefs are minus three in the first ever AFC title game at Arrowhead. It is the first time that all four scoring offenses have made it to the final four. How about that? Isn't that what you want, people? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Tough for the defense wins championships crowd, but I'm sure they will point to some DVOA number and make their case anyway. Both games are rematches. The Chiefs lost to the Patriots at Foxborough this year, 43-40. to High scoring. Goskowski at the gun, your game winner in regulation. New England at one point was up 24-9. to 
They ended up trailing 33-30, to but then pulled away for the win. The Chiefs now are 2-2 two and two against the Patriots since 2014, which is kind of amazing. It's about as good a four-game record against the Pats as any team in the league. And the two times the Chiefs did beat New England, both of them blowouts. Not that I'm predicting they're going to win. I don't know what side I'm on. Took a beating on Sunday. Had a great Saturday. I almost backdoor covered like anyone who had the Saints minus eight, eight and a half, something like that. Didn't work out. I was on the wrong side of the game anyway. I made the mistake of trying to time the market on New England's collapse. They say you should never try to time the market. You should never try to time the collapse of Brady and Belichick. People have been doing it now for probably eight plus years. It's been a reign of unbelievable excellence from those bastards up there. And they're back in the AFC Championship game for the eighth consecutive year. I hope to live to 100. And if I do, I'm pretty confident in saying I ain't going to ever see that again. Ain't going to see no team in the NFL with the salary cap and everything else that evens teams out. I'm not going to see anyone go eight straight times to their conference title game. Saints beat a bat, beat the Rams earlier this year, 30, uh, 45 to 35 in the dome. Saints led 35 14 in this one before the Rams came roaring back to tie it at 35 35. They edged ahead on a Lutz field goal to make it 38 to 35. And then Michael Thomas caught a 72 yard backbreaker that ended the game effectively and gave the Rams the victory, excuse me, gave the Saints the victory over the Rams. And as I said, the Saints are slightly better favorites at minus three and a half. And no, I don't have an opinion on this game either. It's only Monday. I let it soak. I got to lick my wounds from my two mistakes involving two of these four teams on Sunday. The NFL's longest stretch ever without a repeat champion. Super Bowl champion will now continue because the Eagles are out. Last to do it was the Patriots, of course, in 03-04. So that's 15 plus years of no back-to-back winners. And some Redskin fans on my timeline were saying things like, good, to be, good day to be a Skins fan, hashtag HTTR, the Cowboys and the Eagles lose on the same day. You know, ah, nah, I just, I, I can't get behind this way of thinking, this loser mentality. While I'm relieved that both the Cowboys and the Eagles lost, I am not in any way necessarily happy. I'm not going to dance a jig on Twitter and beat my chest and HTTR it. Because, yes, they both lost. But here's two division rivals that played credibly on the road against the one and two seeds on the second weekend of the NFL playoffs. What the fuck are we doing? Huh? What are we doing at home here? Where are we in the big scheme of things? Right, don't answer that. Fucked and fed fish is what we are. We are nowhere. I take very little glee in this day. Relief, yes, but no glee. Someone said, so you want the, so what are you saying? You want our division rivals to win more titles? <laughs> no. How many click, 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 click settings between I take no particular joy in this versus, oh, yeah, I'd love for the Eagles or the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. That'd be so wonderful. Come on, man. Come on, people. Think. Thinkity think, think, think. By the way, the list of NFC teams 
appearing in the NFC Championship game in the last 20 years include Eagles, Giants, Packers, Vikings, Bears, Saints, Falcons, Panthers, Bucks, Rams, Niners, Seahawks, Cardinals. List of NFC teams not appearing in the NFC Championship game in the last 20 years. Cowboys, Redskins, Lions. That's what we have to suck on. So regarding the Patriot-Charger game, it pretty much boiled down to this. In the first half, the Patriots rolled up 347 yards and 24 first downs in the first half. Chargers had 128 yards and six first downs. That is the proverbial Nick Saban shit through a tin horn. Y'all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL, and about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And I think that team won a national championship, but I'm not sure. And they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. Could not stop them. Could not stop them. Yes, yes, indeed. It was a display of executional perfection and line dominance up front with a seemingly healthy Gronk getting in there and blocking lights out, which you know is probably not his favorite thing to do. His favorite thing to do is to crush brewskis with the chicks, man. But still, he was blocking, and they were doing their thing, and it was a joke. I kind of feel bad for Phillip Rivers. This was his best team, his best chance. Time is eventually undefeated, although Brady is bending the curve on that breeze as well. It's eventually undefeated, and so the clock is definitely ticking for Phillip Rivers. Speaking of Brady, after the game, he had a little message for all the haters and the doubters out there. It'll be a good game. They're a good team, and uh, we played them earlier this year. You know, I know, you know, everyone thinks we suck and, you know, can't win any game, so we'll see. It'll be fun. Yeah, we suck. I don't think anyone thought the Patriots sucked. I think there was a few people that predicted them to lose this game to a good Charger team. I think there are some people pointing out, man, this Patriot team is not matching up to their previous incarnations, which seemingly were more loaded. I don't think anyone said they sucked, but see, this is what great athletes and great players do. They invent slight. They they will take any slight, any disrespect, and use it to motivate. And if there really isn't one out there, they'll make one up. I remember once Michael Jordan, when he was playing for the Bulls, somehow made up that LeBradford Smith of the Bullets had somehow disrespected Jordan by saying something like, he can't guard me or I'm going to put him up. I even forget what it was. It was some nonsense. Like, where where did you hear that? Really? LeBradford Smith is running his mouth about you? I think the next time Jordan played my Bullets, he had about a million points. And made sure LeBradford Smith knew about it. Invented slights are the absolute gold standard play of the greatest athletes, no matter what sport it is. And that's Brady for you right there. It'll be a good game. They're a good team. And uh, we played them earlier this year. You know, I know, you know, everyone thinks we suck and, (laughs) you know, can't win any games. So we'll see. It'll be fun. Meanwhile, in the Dome, Saints 20, Eagles 14. And this is a dagger for Eagle fans because they, I don't want to say they dominated, they had a great chance to win. We'll put it that way. They were hell on wheels in this game. And as I tweeted, that's culture. And while I can hate the team and hate the fans, I can respect the output. 
The Eagles rolled farther on culture and toughness and togetherness than they should have. And were the backup quarterback again this year. Adaptability, resilience, belief in each other. It's remarkable. They were hell on wheels against the Saints. They had them down 14 to nothing, and then basically the bottom fell out of their offense. In fact, the first two drives for Philly, 17 plays, a buck 51, 14 points. The remaining 30 plays, they got 99 yards, no points, five punts, two turnovers, and one end of half kneel down. And yet, despite all of that, I was convinced, absolutely convinced they were winning that game as soon as Lutz missed the field goal. Actually, when Bennett slammed Kamara for a loss, pushing Lutz back, and I'm sitting there going, boy, if he makes this and they hold on, that's a backdoor winner, winner. Ch-. Oh, no, wait, never mind. That 30, that 42-yarder just became a 52-yarder, or a 45-yarder became a 52, or whatever the number was. And that'll be just enough for him to miss it. And sure enough, he did. And then when they were coming down the field, I'm like, they're, they're so going to win this game. And then my man, Alshon Jeffrey Alshon, dropped one of the all-time drops. Took it really, really hard. A lot of slow-mo shots of teammates, coaches consoling him. He owned up to it afterward. I mean, what else can you do? you got to own up to it. He said, Philly, this one's on me. Normally has great hands. Normally catches everything. This one went right through, went right through it. And then, of course, the same. Then, of course, Lattimore did one of the two dumbest things I saw during the game. The first dumbest thing was Peterson using a timeout in the third quarter on a five-yard penalty to avoid a delay a game. That that. <laughs> when are coaches ever going to learn? Probably never. The second dumbest thing was after that pick that landed luckily right into his hands. He basically did nothing. Lattimore then runs around like a jackass. And Golden Tate, who's very crafty, came up from behind. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to punch it out. Watch this. Boop. But he didn't. And then, of course, the Saints all ran down to the end of the field to jump into the stands and take a picture. And then after the game, I saw on social media screenshots of the Saints turning their locker room into a virtual club with what appeared to be neon lights, smoke machines, and music playing at 100. Okay. I kind of want to like the Saints. Part of me thinks they're punk asses, and I'm a bit torn. But it's going to be a hell of a game. Saints and Rams, Chiefs and Patriots, are you not entertained, people? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Which brings us to a little ditty that you may know. A little entertaining nugget take with you during the day. Something called the stat of the day. Stat of the day. Here we go. Trey Wingo, courtesy stat of the day. Tom Brady will be making his 13th AFC title game appearance in 18 years as a starter. That excludes 2008 when he missed 15 games due to injury. That percentage is 76.5%, which means Brady is more likely to be in the title game than LeBron James is likely to make a free throw at any time, anywhere. Behold! Just that of the day. Uh, LeBron is a 73% career free throw shooter. Tom Brady is a 76% title game participant. Oh my God. Let's go to Saturday, shall we? 
Saturday saw two things happen that everyone thought, well, this can't happen. One is the Chiefs defense is terrible, right? Well, they dominated the Colts. And the other presumption was, well, you can't run against that Cowboys defense. Their run defense, what what happened? Oh, yeah, the Rams ran for a franchise record in the postseason. Starting in Kansas City, Andy Reid and the Chiefs dominate the Colts 31-13. to Patrick Mahomes was sick. Even though he didn't throw for a touchdown pass in this game, they had four running touchdowns. Mahomes and that sidearm throw he made to Kelsey pretty much threw a, a, a maze of arms and bodies while he is on the move. You're like watching it going, this is absurd. The accuracy, the touch, the balls to make a throw like that. Kid is special. There's no question about it. Dive for the pylon. Touchdown run was sweet. Five times he got the Colts to jump off sides on a hard count. And they won convincingly without him throwing a single touchdown pass. Andy Reid might finally be over the hump. Be the first AFC Championship game ever at Arrowhead, which is pretty remarkable. All the great teams they've had and given the importance of that franchise to the AFL NFL merger. That's going to be something special. Damian Williams was great. He is their third string running back. Oh, by the way, 25 carries, a buck 29. More importantly, Andy Reid trusted him three times on fourth down, running the ball. He picked up all fourth down tries. Marlon Mack did nothing. Colts offense did nothing. Luck was not great. 19 to 36. He's got a playoff record now, four and four. And there are some people starting to run their mouth about Andrew Luck being overrated. Okay, whenever you make an overrated argument, what you're doing is you're judging a player based on your own perceived hype factor from other people in the media or in the NFL ecosystem and what they think and what they say about Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is a great quarterback. He was not great on Saturday, 19-36, playoff record now, 4-4. Four and four. And if you want to compare him to somebody, some people are saying he's like Stafford. Well, Stafford's 0-4 in the playoffs, but the NFL is a team game. Let's not forget that. Oh, and did you like the guy who was in the stands and they caught him in super slow motion on CBS's cameras throwing a snowball? Yeah, dude, you are so busted. Then on Saturday night, the Rams did something nobody thought they could do, which is run on that Cowboys run defense, and they ran, and they ran, and they ran, going away to an eight-point win that was never quite that close. 30-22, to your final score. C.J. Anderson was that rolling ball of butcher knives, or as somebody else said, they heard Shannon Sharp say at halftime, a bowling ball of butcher knives. I guess now I can say I've heard that expression both ways. I first heard it from Chuck Pagano when the Colts had traded for Trent Richardson and he called him, well, he's a rolling ball of butcher knives, which is a great visual, great analogy, although you'd wonder, well, if it's got butcher knives, how does it roll? Just go with it, okay? C.J. Anderson with his dad bod was awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Been on the team for all of a month. 123 yards, two touchdowns, Gurley had a buck 15 and a touchdown of his own. And I always wonder how running backs cope with coexisting. 
they how, how they cope with another running back getting some of their carries, how they coexist. It seems to me there is no such thing as the diva tailback. Unlike the diva wide receiver who wants every pass to go to him and gets very upset the moment he is not the focus of the offense, the bell of the ball, the chosen one, the darling of the team. It seems like running backs are cut from a different cloth in which they go, oh, cool, we got another guy that'll get some carries and will do some things differently than me, and we all eat in that case. Gurley, I think, is totally fine with it. He's still coming back from a knee injury. He doesn't need the pounding per se. He didn't even have as many carries as Anderson. And on the decisive play, the fourth and goal that McVay went for, which I like the aggressiveness. I didn't like the timeout that was called, but they were leading. They were probably not going to need the timeouts. I still just don't like burning timeouts like that. Have your play. Go with your play. And you know, why make it tricky? Why try to draw them off sides? You're at the one-yard line. It would have been uh, basically the same play, even if you had hard-counted them off sides. That said, I love the aggressiveness, and I love the fact that he let Anderson run it in, that they didn't go to Gurley. And Gurley, I think, is probably cool with it. Hell, winning makes everybody happy. So Sean McVay sticking the dagger in, didn't panic early. That I thought that was important. McVay kicked field goals when drives stalled on what could have been convertible fourth downs because I think he realized we're going to move the ball today and we're going to be up and down the field, which they were, and so we're going to take points. We're going to take points whenever we can take points, and I think it paid off. Instant replay. Oh, it did fix one big mistake. That would be the Brandon Cooks touchdown. Congratulations. Instant replay couldn't fix the quick whistle on the Dak Prescott sack, which was a huge play where he was bear-hugged by a Lael Collins on third and seven at the 36. Took the Cowboys out of field goal range. More on this in a second from the pool report with referee Cleet Blakeman. Or, I'm sorry, John Perry. I tend to mix them up just a bit. You can't blame that on replay. I don't blame it on replay. I just use it as an illustration that why bother with all the delays, all the problems with replay, when certain calls get fucked up and they can't get unfucked up like this? A quick whistle, a panic by John Perry seeing a guy in the grasp and then blowing the play dead. I know. You're going to say, well, hey, if they didn't have replay, the Cowboys would have had two bad calls against go against them. The Brandon Cooks touchdown that wasn't, and the inadvertent whistle they couldn't fix. Jason Garrett, I think, made a small strategic mistake late. Apparently, when you're two touchdowns down and you need a two-pointer on top of one of those two touchdowns, so in other words, the down 15 scenario, the nerds have said, and I think they're correct, that you should always go for two right away. Because the raw numbers of converting a two-point conversion don't matter whether you go for it on the first touchdown or the second touchdown, or at least they shouldn't matter. And the benefit of going for a two-pointer early is that if you fail to get it, then you at least have more information about what needs to be done in the waning minutes of a game. Now, in the case of the Cowboys, had they gone for two and not converted, they'd be down nine, and thus they'd need the ball twice, and thus they would have still probably been screwed. But I do understand conceptually. It was a small strategic mistake that 
I think is going to get ironed out over the years, kind of like every team now basically defers the opening kickoff as a strategic advantage so you can get the ball to start the second half. And you can possibly, if you are if you score at the end of the first half, you can get a double shot of a momentum. You score at the end of the half and you get it to start the second half is better than getting it right away. Of course, the Patriots won the, to- won the toss, actually accepted on Sunday, and then marched right down the field with a 14-play, 85-yard drive for a touchdown. So there's always exceptions, I guess. ton of Cowboy fans in the stands. They were loud. I don't think it affected things. Uh, Goff was able to hard count the Cowboys' defense offsides on a couple of occasions. It's just going to be the way. The, the Cowboy fans, they don't necessarily travel. Those were all Southern California Cowboy fans. And it's not just because, well, they train in Oxnard, which is just up the road. Cowboy fans, like Steeler fans, like Packer fans, they're everywhere. You don't need them to, quote, travel to fill half a stadium with fans for a big game like this. One last thing on the Rams' helmets. People have been saying, how come the helmets don't match the color of their jerseys? Well, here's why. The Rams' modern uniform has a dark navy blue, which is the helmet color. The Rams are eventually going to move off of that color scheme and that uniform set. They're wearing what is essentially a color rush or a throwback uniform of sorts with the navy or with somebody with the royal blue jerseys and the pure yellow gold or the pure yellow, I guess it would be called, or canary pants with the canary stripes. It's not the gold that is in the modern uniform. Everything is all mixed up because when they wear their modern uniform with the white helmet stripe on the navy blue helmet, they still have their modern jersey, which has a hint of gold gold, actual metallic gold in the sleeve area because that's a leftover from the Rams scheme in the 2000s and and into the 2010s, of course. Anyway, it's all mixed up. They're eventually, from what I've heard, going to go to the old classic look, but I think they're waiting for the stadium to get finished uh, after next year to do that all at once. So right now it's all jumbled. The helmet should be a royal blue with the canary stripe. Instead, it is a navy blue with a canary stripe, and then, of course, the jersey is royal. And there endeth your nerd uniform discussion for today. Adam Schefter reports the first dead canaries are showing up in the NFL coal mine regarding what could be a work stoppage in 2021. New coaching hires are seeing language now in their contracts that reflect how much they would make or not make in case of a work stoppage in 2021. The language, he reports, is expected to appear in some player contracts as well, being negotiated in free agency this winter in the third year of those deals is when the current collective bargaining agreement is due to expire. From a Redskins standpoint, here's what I see. Let's say the Redskins limp through next year with half a season of Alex Smith. They go 6-10, and ten, can't draft Tua coming out of Alabama. Then they crater in 2020. We win two games. We're sitting atop the draft, ready to take Trevor Lawrence, and then there's a lockout. And then this lockout doesn't just wipe out the Hall of Fame game. It wipes out like a whole season or something crazy like that. That would be peak 
Redskins, if you ask me. I heard Mad Dog Russo on Friday riffing as he opened his show about the games this weekend, uh, this past weekend, and he said the following. Hey, you know the Patriots never lose up there in the playoffs. I think they will the last three times. And I said, uh, wait a minute. You said they never lose up there at home. And then you turn around and say, I think they've lost only three times. Three is more than never. But I went and researched it, and I get his point. They are 19-3 and three at Foxborough since the start of the dynasty with Belichick and Brady, since the snow game and the tuck rule, 19-3, and three, which is pretty amazing. So his basic point was still correct. They almost never lose up there in the playoffs, 19-3. and three. But you can't say they never lose and then turn around and say, I think they've lost three times, uh, which they have. But I get his point. Terrible news for the extended Redskin family as J.D. Gibbs died at the age of just 49 years old this weekend after a long battle with a neurological disorder that had baffled doctors since 2015, I want to believe. Jason Dean Gibbs, the son of the great Joe Gibbs, co-chairman of JGR, Joe Gibbs Racing. And he did pretty much everything. Uh... When he, you know, before he became the CEO of that company or the co-chair of the company, he w- was an over-the-wall crew member, was a part-time driver, made 13 NASCAR National Series starts between 98 and 2002, raced motocross bikes back in the day, was a quarterback at William & Mary, dabbled in the NFL as a coach, I believe on Gibbs's staff. He was described as affable and unfailingly optimistic, Warmly regarded throughout NASCAR, held in high regard as well by corporate executives, race car drivers, mechanics, media, everybody alike. And he had a daughter, he has a daughter who survives him, Taylor, who was diagnosed, I believe, at the age of two or three years old with childhood leukemia, battled through that. She is thankfully cancer-free and thriving now, but is now without a father. And it's just another example of how life can be unspeakably cruel and hard to understand. Luckily, the Gibbs family is built on a rock-solid foundation of faith. And if any family can come together in the wake of something like this, it certainly is the Gibbs family. Rest in peace, Jason Dean Gibbs. Halftime of the blowout between the Patriots and the Chargers. And they just announced that Maroon 5 will be your halftime act at Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta. Well, good for Maroon 5. Is this, is it me or is this later for an announcement of the Super Bowl halftime act than I can recall? It just seems like normally this gets announced earlier in the season-long cycle. But okay, whatever. I read a story about how challenging it is becoming now for the NFL to book the halftime act at the Super Bowl for a variety of reasons. The first reason is the NFL's never-ending greed. The NFL, at one point a couple years ago, decided they would kind of float the idea quietly of making the artist pay them for the right to broadcast and to perform 
at halftime, arguing to the artist, hey, you need us more than we need you. Look at this audience we're delivering you, this stage. I mean, come on. Of course, superstar recording artists and musicians and pop groups said, yeah, no, (laughs) we don't work that way. And thank you very much, NFL. But we already have our own legion of fans. Then the NFL softened, I think, uh, in an article I read saying, well, maybe you can pick up some of the production costs, you know? Because some acts like Katy Perry had insane, over-the-top, 20-foot ride-along elephants that are uh, tiger lions. What was the creature in her song? Tiger. No, it was a lion. She was riding on a giant parade float, basically. And those production costs are substantial. I do believe the NFL finally backed down from asking the artists to either pay them or to pay for the production costs. Now you've got another dynamic in play, and that is artists who are coming out saying, hell no, I won't play halftime because the NFL is inherently racist. They don't say it that way, but they're couching it around the perceived blackballing of one Colin Kaepernick. In the fall, five different artists reportedly turned down and or made statements saying, nah, I don't want to be associated with the NFL. Jay-Z, Rihanna, Pink, Cardi B, and who was the fifth? Adele. So this is now interesting. Now there's pressure because we live in such a sensitive time and age. There is pressure on other artists where if they do accept playing at the Super Bowl, they're going to be asked by the music media and by the sports media, well, how do you feel that you're playing this event when five other artists said they couldn't, in good conscience, play for a league that has actively banned a black man just because of his kneeling for the national anthem? And those are questions that I'm sure Maroon 5 are going to get hit with in some way, shape, or form. I think at this rate, we may be back to up with people as the halftime act or a marching band from college. Either way, Maroon 5, make it a good show, give us some energy, and we'll see you at the insufferably long 25-minute halftime in Atlanta. As far as viral promotions go, I like this one, although it was patently unfair. Goose Island Brewery outside of Chicago set up a makeshift field goal in their parking lot and invited any fan who thought he or she could kick a 43-yard field goal, i.e. the one that Cody Parker, Cody Parkey, famously doink, doink, missed to send the Bears home from the playoffs, that they would be welcomed to come and try it. And they said that anyone that made the field goal would get a year's supply or, or maybe it was a lifetime supply of Goose Island beer. I believe they changed that promotion before they did it to say they were going to get a vacation to some island uh, with some Goose Island product when you got there. Either way, it didn't matter because nobody made the field goal. In fact, not only did nobody make the field goal, there are some hilarious clips that have gone on social media of epic fails of just random Joe Slappies 
out there trying to kick a ball 43 yards through a couple of yellow uprights. One guy shanked it so badly that it hit the supervisor of the event square in the nuts. Here we go. <laughs> oh, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. It's pretty funny. Now, the unfair part of it is this. Apparently, kickers went 0 for 101, which sounds about right, although I'm surprised with a actual prize of some value there. You didn't get former college kickers, former college soccer players, guys that actually knew how to kick a ball half decent, to wait out in line overnight if possible, if needed, to make sure they were near the front of the line and give it a go. Maybe there were. I'd like to see some of the better attempts at it, but here's what's totally unfair. They set up the kicking area on a little patch of AstroTurf in snowy conditions. And so there were more than one person that I saw in the clips who completely wiped out on their plant foot because it was icy slick on this little piece of fake AstroTurf with no cleats, no proper footwear, and guys just taking a big wild run at it and whoop, right on their ass. Either way, funny promotion, good viral clips, 0 for 101. So in other words, Chicago, for all of you bitching about Cody Parkey's miss or block, (laughs) shut your hole. Harder than you think. Oh, somebody did tweet after that clip of this guy hitting the dude in the nuts, right standing right next to the field goal. They said, actually, I think that one was blocked. I rarely feel pity for Mike Francesa, but in a certain way, I kind of do in this regard. There is no way he's going to be able to effectively screen out guys that just want to prank call him on his app show. No matter how well his phone screener works, guys, to say, what's your name, where are you from, what do you want to talk about, and really vet whether they're real or not. And even using caller ID, which maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe they block caller ID. Who knows? But there's no way to screen it out. Here was a couple calls back-to-back this morning to Mike Francesa. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. In that first game, in the Colt Chief game, um, on NBC, they were promoing the heck out of, I don't know if you watched, Brooklyn Noy Noy. I don't know if you got to watch that at all. They've been promoing that. Making fun yeah, of how he go. says noin. Uh, there goes Mike. Noin, noin. That's Mike Mayapak doing his thing again. You know, that once you start, once you get to Brooklyn Nine, Nine, you know. Funhouse said that was Baba Bowie, Howard Stern's legendary producer. Kind of sounded like it, although he went by Mike and Mayapak. What's going on? You know, you got to wait for a second to let him talk, you know. Uh, but but it's, if it's, you know, he, he tries in a hundred different ways to get on the show. But hey, listen, listen, you know, you got to remember, he's a frustrated entertainer. He really is. Uh, Bob in Manhattan, what's up, Bob? Yes, Bob. Um, yes, I wanted to talk about Tom Brady. Um, and I also wanted to talk about um, uh, Philip Rivers. Well, go ahead. Uh, I also wanted to talk about um, uh, Carson Wentz and Drew Brees. 
uh, Andrew Luck. All right, get rid of him. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Hey, we're going to have – it's going to be a short show today, folks, if we keep up with these calls. I'm going to tell you right now. You know what? i got more important things to do. If you guys want to mess – Well, first of all, <laughs> it's like Dad saying, I will turn this car around. It's going to be a short show. You knuckleheads, keep it up. I've got more important things to do. No, not really. I love how he's like, pay $9 a month for my app. And then he's like, I'll, be, I'll take calls on the weekends. And then he's like, I got more important things to do. Like, this is not the most important thing that I've got going on. Surround them and take calls today. We can do that too, you know. You know what happens? You get down to a couple of games in the year. Oh, God. I, I should never, ever feel an ounce of sympathy for this fraudulent blowhard at this point, but it is, it's becoming more and more of a fascination to watch and to listen to. And if you're not following at back after this, AKA Funhouse, who posts all these clips, oh boy, you are missing out. Happy anniversary, Hawaii. One year ago, you nearly died. Thanks to an incoming ballistic missile that in fact was not incoming. Yes, One year ago, on January 13, a false ballistic ballistic missile alert was issued via the official emergency alert system and commercial mobile alert system over the island of Hawaii. In fact, the alert simply said, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter, this is not a drill, all caps. It came to people's cell phones. This was at 8.07 a.m. Hawaii time. Well, it turns out it was actually a drill, and it caused quite a bit of a shakeup and a lot of tut-tutting and head-shaking and just general, are you fucking kidding me-ing, about the clowns running the so-called emergency management system in Hawaii. Here's what happened after they did their investigation. And they did force, according to Wikipedia, there's a whole Wikipedia entry on this. It did force the state's director of their communications commission to resign. I'm sure with full benefits and probably a juicy severance, but whatever. Officials said that upon hearing the supervisor's statement, the junior employee who had reported a history, get this, of having confused real-life events and drills at least twice before and later in a written statement said that he believed it was an actual emergency, clicked the button to send out an actual notification saying, yes, a ballistic missile is indeed incoming. An agency spokesman told the Washington Post that the employee prompted to choose between the options of Test missile alert or missile alert on his computer. He selected the latter, initiating the alert sent out across the state. The employee later claimed that he had not heard the exercise part of the phone call because a coworker had placed it on a speakerphone partway into the message, and as a result, he had been 100% sure the attack was real. State officials said five other workers were present at the agency at the time, and all of them recognized the phone call as merely an impromptu drill and not a real ballistic missile attack. Let's just stop right there. All these minions, all these underlings scurrying about in this command center, 
One of them was in charge of click, 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 click. Yep, this is a real alert. He blew through a second screen on his computer, which was intended as a safeguard to confirm. Sort of like, are you sure you want to delete this file? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know how we all get with clicking. Yeah, We are so impatient now as an internet society. It's just click, click, click. You're installing something. There could be a screen that says, we are installing malware on your computer. It is going to wipe out every file you have. It'll spy on you. It'll turn on your camera. Are you okay with this? Most of us would have already been, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Click, 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 click. Install, please. So it's 8.07 a.m. And this is it. Officials scrambled to find out what the hell's going on. They called the U.S. Pacific Command and said, uh, this crazy call, but is there a missile coming in here? They're like, uh, that's a negative. We have nothing on our radar. By the time they had figured out, oh, we have really fucked up here, it, it was about 8.20 a.m. Official messages refuting the emergency alert were not sent out until 8.20 a.m. So that's 13 minute, minutes of sheer panic that I'm sure some people went through. Luckily, there was not a complete breakdown of civil order in 13 minutes' time where everyone's stealing shit and they're murdering people and sticking them up and robbing and raping and everything else. It wasn't until even later that an email was sent out at 8.25. Oh, you didn't get the email? Yeah, no, there's no ballistic missile. Oh, oh, you still thought there was? Well, I sent you the email. They also posted on Twitter, and they posted on Facebook, and they even queued electronic highway signs to say, uh, no missile coming, sorry, our bad. A second emergency alert was finally sent 38 minutes later saying there is no missile threat or danger to the state of Hawaii. Repeat, false alarm. Not even a sorry in there on the, on the second emergency alert. Not even a, hey, we have sacked the idiot who did this. The real question is, when they say seek shelter, I suppose there are some people, preppers, that have ballistic missile proof tunnels and caves and bunkers and they would want that alert notification or that you know notification ahead of time could save their life but imagine if a ballistic missile of any size whatsoever well let's just be honest a ballistic missile period there if it's big enough to reach hawaii it's big enough to fuck everything up once you come out of your bunker However many days later, following the nuclear fallout, what are you going to come back to? There's not going to be life as you know it. In fact, I would rather be underneath that ballistic missile. And I don't want a warning either. I don't want a heads up. I don't want to worry about it for my last 13 minutes on Earth. I want to be hanging out in the Hawaiian sun, on the beach, on a golf course, who knows where, in my hammock. And I want to see that missile coming right down And then I want to see a big burst of light, and that'll be it. So you don't even need to warn me. But congratulations, Hawaii. You're one year older, even though last year at this time you almost died. In theory, I should be able to get this to Scott Van Pelt. In theory, he should be able to include it in his Bad Beats segment. 
Although I think there's about zero chance of it happening. Maybe I'll try it anyway. It deserves to be on Bad Beats. Dateline, Maryland. A woman who won thousands of dollars off a slot machine at the MGM National Harbor Casino, right here just outside the District of Columbia, says she can't collect her winnings because an employee missed one digit on her social security number. Cynthia O.B. had won a nice jackpot at a slot machine. Didn't reveal the exact amount of her winnings, but it was enough so that she had to go to the cage and present the MGM staffer with her ID, personal information, and social security before they would give her the cash. Ms. Obi said the employee typed out her social security number and got it wrong by one digit, mixing up her information with another person entirely. Now, at this point, you're going to say, well, okay, clerical error, we can fix it. Just settle down here. Let's, uh, we'll get this straight. Hold on a second. This was not the right person. Not so fast. The person whose number they did plug into the database incorrectly apparently owed the state of Maryland a lot of child support. And so instantly upon this clerical error of giving this other person the money, the state of Maryland's computers are like, oh, sweet, you owe us $26,943 in back child support. Yoink, we're taking it. Yes. Not possible. Ms. Obi says, I'm like, no, this can't be correct. All my daughters are grown. I've never paid child support. This can't be right. By the way, what does it say about MGM National Harbor and the state of Maryland that they've already set up their computer systems so that the minute anybody wins any substantial amount of money that they have to go submit their social and it runs through the database in the state of, okay, who are all the deadbeats here? Who owes somebody money? We, we get tabs on everybody, and they take it right out. In fact, Ms. Obi does not owe back child support. She went on local television proudly showing pictures of her three beautiful and grown daughters, and she's like, okay, knock, knock, where's my money? Well, it turns out MGM now says, ah, we, uh, see, we, uh, we sort of have a problem here. Uh, we have sort of a problem here. They said it's out of their hands, citing Maryland law. They told her, look, you need to bring this up with the Maryland Human Services Agency. They're the ones that handle child support. I'm sure if you go talk to them, they'll sort this right out. Obi said she took time off work and spent more than an hour at their office this week, but left without any answers. No, no kidding. Hard to believe. A state agency, no answers. No answers, no money. Now she's going back at MGM saying, you guys are a billion-dollar company. You do the research. You get the money straightened out. I won fair and square. I just want my money. Knock, knock. Where's my money? Haven't heard of a resolution yet. My feeling is she'll eventually get the money. But what a headache. And talk about bad beats. That one qualifies. Of course, it reminds me of the great Chris Rock 
stand-up bit about <laughs> child support and taking care of your kids. It's where I got my famous and my well-used what-you-want-a-cookie line from. Always want some credit for some shit they supposed to do. <laughs> for some shit they just supposed to do. A nigga will brag about some shit a normal man just does. A nigga will say some shit like, I take care of my kids. You suppose you dumb motherfucker. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? What kind of ignorant shit is that? I ain't never been to jail. What you want a cookie? You're not supposed to go to jail, you low expectation ever, motherfucker. Yes, and you know what else? If you do owe child support, you should not be at a casino gambling. And if you do gamble and you do win, let it be known, the state of Maryland, two fingers under their eyes, like, I'm watching you, fucker. They already got your number, and they will take that money before it ever hits your hands. So regarding that bad in-the-grasp call by John Perry and his crew, or specifically Perry himself, I don't want to blame the crew for it. This was all John Perry fucking it up in the Rams-Dallas game. In cases like this, the referees oftentimes allow one pool reporter to come and clarify something with the head referee. Some people think that referees should be made to answer questions at a podium like the players and coaches do after every single game. In fact, Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, believes that's the case. I think that's a terrible idea, and we don't need to be grilling every referee every line judge, every side judge, every back judge, every umpire after every damn game about little tiny calls. Well, how come you called it this way? How come you called it that way? But okay. So they wanted to know what what was going on with that call. Here was Perry's answer. Quote, from my view, the quarterback's progress had been stopped moving forward. There were hands around him and another defender was coming, so he went in the grasp to protect the quarterback. Of course, the hands around him belonged to a teammate, not a tackler. That would be Lael Collins. It was a very unusual move and one that I immediately thought, is that illegal to be helping to hold up a teammate who has the football? Believe it or not, there's rules against pulling a ball carrier into the end zone. But there's no rules against pushing a ball carrier from behind into the end zone when there's a big pileup. Stupid, but that's the way the rules are. I guess there's no rule against holding or bear-hugging your own teammate to hold him up or to protect him momentarily. It was just a weird move. It was something you didn't see a lot. And so I think that's what screwed up John Perry, and he got quick with a whistle, and he blew a play dead, which should not have been called dead. It ruled it a sack when it wasn't going to be. It could have been a big play, big broken play off schedule right at the end of the first half. Third and six, I believe, at the 36-yard line in field goal range, the sack of eight yards took him out of field goal range, could have cost the Cowboys three points. Okay. In the grasp is designed to protect the quarterback, Perry said, and then reiterated that Prescott was no longer moving forward. The pool reporter then asked, so was it forward progress or was it in the grasp? Perry responded with, hands around the quarterback from my view, which didn't really answer the question. Florio says what Perry should have said is, quote, because it's so rare to see a quarterback in the grasp of a teammate, I accidentally concluded that the arms around the quarterback belonged to a tackler. With another defender closing in, I blew the whistle in order to protect the quarterback. Perry should have said it like that, says Florio, because that's most likely the truth. The sooner the NFL embraces truth 
in situations like this, the sooner the NFL will dissuade the tinfoil hat crowd, hey, why are you looking at me, from suspecting that last night's game was somehow rigged in favor of boosting the fortunes of the predominant team in the nation's number two market. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe some people thought they're rigging it for the Rams. More people think they rig it for the Cowboys. And Florio, if I may gently disagree, the league, if they wanted anybody, per se, deeper in the playoffs, and if they wanted anybody in the Super Bowl, it's the Cowboys. Forget actual market size. Dallas is still like fifth anyway, so what's the big difference? This is not the difference between Jacksonville and L.A., and it's the Cowboys, the number one brand in the country. Look at all the fans in the stands. He writes to say, games aren't rigged, they just aren't, but people think they are rigged from time to time, and unsatisfying explanations for questionable calls made at key moments of a game that remains in doubt become circumstantial evidence for those who think the line has been blurred between the NFL and the WWE. He's right about that paragraph. Games are not rigged, but they may be weighted. And to simply weight a game or put your thumb on the scale is enough to make fans wonder. In this case, it, the call went against the Cowboys, so I don't think it was a case of, ooh, let me help anybody out. It's just a fuck-up. But the reason the NFL and their officials rarely want to admit to the truth is that be, is because simply lying has become a habit for them, for the league. Lying has effectively worked for the league. Eventually, no matter how much the media brays and the dogs bark, the NFL caravan moves on. And you don't get straight answers. And you don't get resolution. And you very seldom draw blood on any of the key people in charge. Hell, if you want to point to a call that was completely mystifying, that stunk of having your thumb on the scale in favor of a team you'd want to have, win. It was the Cowboys-Eagles game when the opening kickoff by the Eagles was was fumbled by the Cowboys, clearly recovered by six Eagles, and Alberto Riveron up in the booth in New York says, I didn't see a clear recovery. What? That's the kind of egregious call that makes you wonder. Okay, tinfoil hat is now off, and we are done with that. The case of Kyler Murray as an NFL quarterback is going to be an interesting one. He has not yet formally, officially declared that he has entered the NFL draft. In fact, on Sunday, that would be yesterday as you listen to this, the Oakland A's will have met with Kyler Murray to make one last final push and one last impassioned pitch, (laughs) pardon the pun, for him to stay with the Oakland A's and to stick with baseball, a decision which has already granted him a nice four-point-something million-dollar bonus. Bob Nightingale of USA Today reports that a contingent led by team president Billy Bean will have a sit-down with Murray, or did have a sit-down with Murray by the time you listen to this, hoping that he will choose hardball over football. If the A's can keep Murray from slamming the door on baseball, there's a good chance that no NFL team will burn a 2019 first-round pick on him, especially since draft rights to a player last only one year. However, in the end, it'll be impossible for Murray, if he does want to try football, to maximize his draft stock until he says clearly and convincingly, I'm playing football, I'm not playing baseball. And then acts accordingly to make people believe that's the case. Short of 
shredding his glove and burning every baseball bat he has in his driveway, I'm not sure how he would convince people that he is burning the lifeboats on baseball, so to speak. I think you should play football. I think you should give it a shot. It may be crazy. He's very small. Guys like him are not typically what succeeds long-term in the NFL. And by guys like him, I mean running quarterbacks. That's all I mean before anyone gets too crazy with that. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see if it works. I'd love to see what he measures out at at the combine, like true measurement. I asked a dumb question last week on my show in D.C. I said, this might be a dumb question, but could a player like Kyler Murray refuse to be measured at the combine? Could he say, I'll be happy to throw, I'll be happy to run, I'll be happy to interview, but put that fucking ruler away. I am not going to get measured. Wonder what the protocol on that is. He doesn't have to go to the combine. That's one thing. And he doesn't have to, if he does campus workouts, let scouts and or teams do anything more than he wants to let them see. I'm sure it'll be used very much against him. Kyler Murray refuses to be measured. He must be five foot two in real life. Can't draft him. Won't draft him. Scott Boris has a lot invested in this because as his agent, he convinced both the A's to pay him that bonus, which I'm not sure it was extraordinary given first-round pick status, and also for the A's to permit him then to play one more year of football at Oklahoma, which the A's did. Now the A's may end up losing him because he played football that one more year at Oklahoma way too good and won the Heisman Trophy. To be continued. Sometimes I wonder how it is that large entities like professional football teams with all their marketing people all their merchandise people, all their PR people, that no one ever stands up and says, listen, I understand what you're tra- we're all trying to do here. This is a dumb fucking idea, and here's why. Actually, I know exactly why this never happens, because most people are afraid of losing their job, and they're, they will always, almost always choose the path of go along, get along, because nobody ever gets a raise, or seldom gets a raise, by being the one person to stand up and say, This is a bad idea. I know you all think it's a great idea. I think it's dumb, and here's why. Even if you're right, you're now that guy. Well, the Colts could have used one of those that guys when they decided to raise a banner outside of Lucas Oil Stadium following their win on the road at Houston. The banner simply read, 1-0. and Uh-huh. Like, hey, we're now 1-0 in the postseason. Of course, after they got blown out by Kansas City, the internet and Photoshop experts and non-Photoshop experts who didn't really do a good job of it went to update the banner and the picture of it flying outside Lucas Oil with one and one. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. The Colts even sold T-shirts. T-shirts that said one and oh. To which I immediately thought of two things. One, how stupid would you feel wearing a t-shirt that says one and oh in the wake of you getting blown out by the Chiefs and being mocked by your friends and colleagues and maybe even by fellow Colt fans? 
And the second thing I thought of was, of course, Boss Hog. We're going to sell these shirts for three dollars, and they're only going to cost us thirty-five and a half cents each. <laughs> Do we make a buck? Like, how much would they have sold of these shirts? What's my cut? Huh? What's my? Cut? Well, you can have one of these shirts <laughs> off for your own. Oh, size small. Yeah. So I actually clicked over to the website at the Colts Pro Shop for the one and zero T-shirt and. I hate to say it, but there is actually a little bit more to the story. Here's the description of the t-shirt in the Colts Pro Shop. It reads the following. Go 1-0 this week. Show the world you have a 1-0 mindset. During week 7, the Colts took this mindset to focus on getting better each week and to have the singular focus of going 1-0 every week. At that point, the Colts were 1-5 and five and seemingly left for dead. And by focusing on one day at a time, one game at a time, going 1-0 and oh every week, they were able to climb out of that hole, make the playoffs, and win a playoff game. I now actually sort of get it, and I dig that whole attitude. It's true that going 1-0 and oh every day in life is what life is all about. You can't worry about Day two, three, four, fifty, a hundred, two thousand and sixty-three. Go one and zero every day. Did you win the day? I'm one and zero. But the fact that the Colts didn't raise that banner until after they beat the Texans, the fact the Colts didn't start selling these T-shirts apparently until after they won that game, and now they get clobbered. It looks pretty fucking lame. Okay, quick update on the T-shirt. I actually bought one. (laughs) Actually, excuse me, I pre-ordered it. They're not going to be available, according to the Colts website, until January 18th. What motivated me after I just mocked this 1-0 t-shirt? A, I would like to live my life 1-0. I'm down with the whole slogan. But it's also kitschy. It's a collector's item because it will be mocked. I forgot to mention in the previous you know, explaining the story, the Colts, if you don't know, actually raised a banner that said AFC Championship Game Participant after they lost in the AFC title game to the Patriots. <laughs> you no, know, you cannot hang a banner just saying, yeah, we were in that game. Yeah, how'd it go? Oh, we got killed. But we were in it. That's sort of a championship, kind of like to get there, kind of. So, yes, I've got a 1-0 Colts t-shirt on the way. Did I tell you I also have an okay, cool, hook'em t-shirt now? I ordered that off the internet when I saw it. Don't know if I said this already on the podcast. If I did, I apologize. But love the Tom Herman response via text when Zach Smith went crazy on Twitter and went crazy on the text, uh, uh, texting him saying, Remember that time you were with that masseuse? I'm going to blow it out for the world and show everyone what a scumbag you really are. And instead of freaking out or saying that's not true or or you better not do that, I'll sue you, Tom Herman simply texted back, okay, comma, cool. Hook him. It went quickly viral, in, at least in terms of Texas Longhorn circles. Okay, cool, hook him. And it was just such a perfect response. It was like, Okay, cool, whatever. Hook them. Hook them horns. Way to go. In fact, Tom Herman's smoke show wife was seen wearing an OK Cool Hook'em t-shirt in the days after that 
text exchange went viral. I don't know why I thought about it. I was just clicking around one night. I was like, <laughs> that's good. I do want to I do want to adopt a bit more of an okay, cool, hook em attitude when it comes to whatever in life. Like when people give me a raft of shit via email or text or Twitter, I just need to think, okay, cool, hook em. That That's what you think. That's cool, hook em. I'm not even a Texas Longhorns fan. I just like it. Okay, cool, hook em. We'll end on this today. Dateline, Utah. Teenage driver crashes while trying bird box challenge. You're kidding me, right? I wish I were, but I'm not. God! A teenager, say police, in Utah crashed into another car when she covered her eyes as part of the so-called bird box challenge. Police say the 17-year-old girl drifted into oncoming traffic and hit another car as she pulled a hat over her eyes to emulate The Bird Box, a Sandra Bullock movie on Netflix where characters must be constantly blindfolded to avoid visions that urge them to die. Videos of people trying to do things while blindfolded have attracted widespread attention online and have attracted copycats. Netflix tweeted a warning about the challenge last week. Yeah, don't actually do this. No one was hurt in the Monday crash north of Salt Lake City. Well, thank God for that. Part of me wishes that we could lock this teenage girl up for five years because of the reckless and idiotic endangerment. The other part of me as a father of teenage daughters says, (laughs) I hope it wouldn't be my daughter doing that, but damn it, all teenagers do some dumbass shit. It really, the combination of social media and the pressure of social media the easy influenceability of today's youths and the ability to record on your phone and video and then disseminate to everybody else whatever dumb shit you're going to try. And that allure of, watch this, I'm going to go viral, this is going to be great. That combination, oh God, it just makes me more depressed for the future than ever. It makes me actually want to start learning Chinese because I think that's where the future actually is it's gonna be tough though it's uh it's a hard language i hear and if you don't start studying early in life it's uh very difficult a lot of different dialects and sub dialects but i'll get uh I'll get cracking on it that'll do it for today thanks for downloading comment and like tell a couple friends get the zabecast app it's free it's delicious go to zabe.com sign up for premium slash premium get the extra episode every single week Podcasts are the future indeed, like Netflix for your ears, but we don't make you blindfold yourself. Email me with topics and suggestions at zavidyahoo.com. Now go slap any kids you see doing the Bird Box Challenge upside the head, and we will see you next time. Can you-